Hello and welcome to the Parkview Podcast. I'm Paul Hank, Investment Analyst at Parkview, and joining me is Osama Hamani, CIO of the firm. As we record this episode, global risk markets are grappling with the volatility levels only seen five or so times in the last decade, as the true extent and economic impact of COVID-19 begins to become ever more apparent to investors worldwide. Whilst there have been many podcasts recorded and articles written that sum up most of what is currently known regarding the virus, we felt that it would be good to do something a little bit different and focus on some of the secondary effects that we expect going forwards. And we must stress currently, as much as what is currently being reported is based mostly on incomplete data and speculation. Osama has recently written a piece on this, and most of what we'll discuss in today's podcast is in reference to this. As it stands, we currently have just over 116,000 cases confirmed globally, with around 4,088 total deaths, representing just over a 3.5% fatality rate as of today. So with that out of the way, I want to discuss some of the global growth forecasts that we've been recently seeing, a steady drip feed from banks and other international organizations. So what are your thoughts on these, and do you think institutional managers have been reacting in an appropriate way considering some of these revisions? Thanks, Paul. I'm very lucky and happy uh, not to have a job that requires me to come up with a point forecast for the global economy or for any specific country. Um, as, as you pointed out, there are a lot of unknowns regarding this, uh, this virus and this, this epidemic. Um, there are a lot of variables that will determine how, what the economic impact will be. These variables depend really on the duration of the crisis, how long before we see a peak in the number of new cases. This is one important factor. But another important factor is what measures are taken by countries in order to uh, address the epidemic. So, you know, whether some countries have lockdowns, whether they don't have lockdowns, how they implement these things, all of these variables are really unknown and the situation is is evolving. Um, It's also true that we are facing really a, a big, some big question marks regarding the data. I find it, for example, very surprising that to this day, Turkey has yet to report a single case. And so as this, this example, you know, Turkey is just one, one country, but what it does highlight is, is, is the large amount of uncertainty that is surrounding the, the forecast that, that we're seeing. So, so yes, to answer your question directly, um, uh, asset managers, institutions, um, uh, banks all have to revise their, their, um, their scenarios. Um, they're all appropriately revising growth forecasts down. But, but the degree of uncertainty regarding estimates is, is extremely high. Let's discuss the economic transmission dynamics of the virus for a second. The way I understand it is we should see some sustained deflationary demand side effects in areas such as transportation and the general you know, consumer discretionary environment. So this could lead to a drop in general consumer confidence and thereby further slow the rate of personal consumption. On the other side of the spectrum, we expect supply-side shocks that could hit the external sector and areas like non-residential fixed investment. So we've already seen a tick-up in supply delivery times and slowing new import orders in purchasing manufacturing surveys globally. So where do you see the most damage being felt between the two? I think you're exactly right to separate the, the supply effects and the 
and, and the demand effects in, in this crisis. I think the way I'm looking at it is that in, in the first instance, this is a supply shock. And a supply shock means it, it is disruption to supply chains, it's disruptions to, to uh, operations, um, and, and the immediate impact of a, of a supply shock, shock is not just a, a drop in, in production and output, but also a scarcity of output and therefore an upward, upward pressure on, on prices. Then there is a demand shock element, and the demand shock element is a second instance element. And here um, it, is, it is in part uh, a, a matter of workers who are no longer going to work because they are being, the, they're being quarantined or, or uh, staying at home. Uh, um, that, that, that implies less demand for transport, less demand for, for other goods and services that, that um, they normally uh, uh, consume. And lack of demand sets in a dynamic that puts downward pressure on prices. To answer your question directly is, you know, where do we see the most damage? I think it is, it is difficult to going to be to disentangle the supply and the demand effects, but I would rather try to think of it in terms of the nature of the effect and its duration. So, so for example, things that happen immediately, the sudden stop of factories or the shutdown of schools and what knock-on implications that has, whether on supply or demand, these things can be quickly reversed once we've seen uh, the peak in, in the virus or once there are measures in place that enable the resumption of normal activity. So this stuff can have a quick, quick rebound. But there is permanent damage that can be done, and this is going to take much longer to, to recover from. Uh, one one area of concern are companies, particularly small businesses that are heavily leveraged. Now, you know, in a liquidity crisis can quickly escalate into a solvency crisis. So depending on the du duration of this epidemic, we could see some companies be in serious trouble. And, and in these cases, we, you know, if we do have bankruptcies, then we have permanent economic damage. And another effect, of course, that, that has duration is, is the postponement of key decisions, whether investment decisions, new projects. Um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that companies here in Europe, in America, in Asia are postponing some key decisions pending clarity on, on this epidemic. And this is stuff that will take much longer to come back on stream. So we've seen a pretty coordinated response from global central banks and governments um, in response to these revisions. The uh, US Fed unexpectedly cut 50 basis points last week and carried out a pretty significant repair operation over the weekend. We've also seen similar actions taken elsewhere. Bearing in mind, this is after 75 basis points of cuts already seen in 2019. Given the fact that global economic data has been largely slowing since the back end of 2018, what impact do you feel, if any, uh, this kind of policy could have on the respective growth outlooks of these economies? Do you think maybe that the coordinated policy measures have the potential to potentially complicate and exacerbate the markets trying to discount uh, the respective financial conditions? This is a very important question to ask because, because monetary policy 
it's not obvious that monetary policy is the right tool to address this type of crisis. A supply shock, a factory shutdown, is not gonna. The factory is not gonna reopen by a move by the Fed in in interest rates. Um, it, it, it's a different type of dynamic where where monetary policy does play a role is is really in maintaining liquidity in the market. And one of the things that we have seen in this crisis is that is that the level of uncertainty has has engendered a level of panic that has sapped liquidity from markets. Bid-ask spreads in, in fixed income have, have widened. Uh, equity markets, as we see, are moving very widely. And this lack of liquidity is something that, that requires some sort of monetary response. But this monetary response is not going to change the reality in the real economy. What is going to change the reality in the real economy has to be um, uh, something that is fiscal and targeted. And, and here, one can think of a lot of measures. Some of them are being implemented, you know, whether in Italy they're looking at certain tax cuts, uh, tax benefits in Italy, in Japan, the U.S. is considering tax cuts. Targeted fiscal measures will have a much bigger impact than very broad fiscal or monetary measures. I think, you know, governments announcing spending plans, um, that that's important, um, but, but one should also remember that a lot of the spending is going to support healthcare systems. This is not something that is necessarily going to substitute or you know, help in, in addressing the drop in demand by consumers necessarily. It's a different type of spending and its, and its impact is, is going to be more limited. In terms of the labor market, you'd expect a slower hiring pace and potentially a tick up in the unemployment rate as a direct follow-on from a more widespread inflection rate in the U.S. In addition, we may see a potentially weaker dollar due to further stimulus measures going forward. In part, we're also worried about a deflationary demand side effect, as mentioned earlier. So what's your take on the inflation rate in general going forwards? I would, um, I would again, just like I was thinking of growth in terms of short-term and, 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 and longer-term impact, I would also look at, at inflation in terms of what, what are the near-term impacts, implications and long-term implications. And, and the near-term implications, I think, the drop in demand will dampen inflationary expectations in the near term. That, that, to my mind, is pretty clear. And I think risks are skewed towards lower inflation in the near term. In the medium term, that's a, that's a very different question. And, and I think um, that depends on how the policies that are put in place to address this epidemic are, you know, what, what their nature is and what their effects will be. And, and this is where we really have a lot of unknowns that we're, we're dealing with. Clearly, the market is pricing in, is not concerned with inflation at all at this point. And we see that in, 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 in rates, we see that in, in long-term uh, treasury. Uh, but but if, if this crisis persists and leads to, to maybe more unorthodox measures to, to address it, for example, in terms of not necessarily quantitative easing, but 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 that sort of the idea of helicopter money, then over the long term, this this will have some sort of inflationary um, implications once things once economic activity is normalized. So really, the, the the question in the near term, I'm not concerned. Over the long term, it really depends on what policies are in place and and how policies change. 
So with volatility where it is currently in the equity and fixed income markets, it becomes ever more challenging to make directional calls one way or another in terms of allocation decisions and whether or not to take further risk off the table. Could you shed some light on how Parkview has been positioned in the last month or so and whether or not you expect to adjust any allocations in the next few weeks? We're very fortunate that when this crisis hit, we were in a in a relatively cautiously positioned. We were underweight equities, um, and last week we we reduced equities uh, even further. Given given the while the level of volatility and and the and the uncertainty, I think we're not about to make any further changes in the near term because because volatility is simply too high and the uncertainties are too high. And ultimately, I think if you have a very well diversified portfolio, um, this is what what can provide you real insurance at times like these, is to have a well diversified portfolio. I think once the dust settles, there is a big question that, that we, along with most other investors, will need to face, which is what what are expected returns for fixed income? Um, given where yields have gone now, it is difficult to envisage that fixed income will will have uh, significant uh, uh, potential. Um, in fact, I think in real terms, uh, for U.S. Treasuries, it's arithmetically uh, the the returns are, have to be negative over the next three, four years. So, so return expectations in the fixed income space have, have come down quite a bit. Um, and this means return expectations for portfolios have come down. But then what are the alternatives to low risk, high quality uh, fixed income? Um, and, and there, uh, the answer is not really very obvious. But this will be the challenge for, for the next portfolio rebalancing. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Clients of Parkview may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.